0: Welcome to the New Books Network. I'll
1: take the train in broad daylight, then walk to his house from the station. This way his neighbors and bodyguards can see that I'm up to no evil purpose. I'll walk slowly, even stop now and then and gaze up at the rooftops for pigeons, making an easy target of myself. I'll don a smile indicating that I'm unafraid and have come on pleasant matters, family matters. I'll go bearing gifts. In one hand, I'll hold a panetone, that fancy Italian bread filled with tiny fruits and raisins. And already I can see Johnny and his lady huddled in their kitchen flooded by the early sunshine, anxiously slicing off a few pieces, then toasting them lightly and buttering them. In my other hand, I hold a naked mozzarella, pure white, still juicy and swollen from its recent baptism in water. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Anthony Valerio. His 1997 novel, Conversation with Johnny, has just come out in an audible version and portrays a New York City where the Twin Towers still stand and the Italian mafia still reigns supreme. In stories, he tells Johnny... Nicholas expresses his longing for love, bemoans the affairs that never led to lasting love, and tries to get Johnny to set straight a young professor who's focusing too much on Italian crime and not enough on Italian culture. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for joining me today.
0: It's a real pleasure to be with you today, Galit.
1: So how did you come to write Conversation with Johnny back in the 90s?
0: At that time, I was seeing. Um, at that time, I was living in Greenwich Village, and uh, I had a and I was seeing a psychiatrist, uh, lady friend. And one day, she came home and said, uh, "Anthony, the uh, greengrocers on you know such and such a street have really been bothering me." And uh, so I said, "Okay, this is real life stuff." And then a couple of days passed, a week or so. And then she said, Anthony, again, she said, they're really, you know, harassing me. So I said, just like this, the next time they do that, why don't you say, my cousin Johnny is going to come in and pay you a visit because I told him you were bothering me. I just, John, John Gotti had his office, you know, the, 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 mob, the mob boss had his office a few blocks away from what I'm talking about. And they all knew who Johnny was. And then when she came back, you know, next time and next time, she says, you know, they're really leaving me alone now. And I said to myself, wow, that was powerful. In other words, in my culture, the Italian culture I was raised with, the, um, the, the image and, and the real life work and criminality and, and, and you know, deadly, uh, how could I say, deadly uh, re- reprisals, such a thing, are very strong. And then, so I sat down and I wrote a Conversation with Johnny, which was, for me, a dual project that is in me, and I, I'm afraid, I'm not afraid, but I can say in Italian-Americans who were raised in cities understand that we live side by side with gangsters and criminals. So in me, there were two voices. There was Nicholas, the narrator, and then there was Johnny, the mob boss. Now, my purpose was always to move the stereotypes along. And the stereotype of the criminal really didn't interest me anymore. Puzo had already written that in The Godfather. So I, I, I thought that I, I, I stepped upon a plateau in that project of humor, of power, at the center of which was a woman. And, you know, and in other words, whatever goes on in the Italian American community that you hear about, the woman is a central figure. She really is, she really is in the end, the powerhouse. And so I had a triangle that interested me and I wrote that book. That's how that came about.
1: Hmm. So uh, you have just personally recorded the audiobook now in 2021, which is why we are doing this podcast interview right now, all hmm. these years later. Hmm. What, what was that experience like?
0: Uh, first of all, the experience, thank you for asking that question. I have recorded now three of my, bo- three of my books. I reached a point during the COVID the last year of our pandemic, of desiring to leave behind my voice, my, my spoken voice to children, grandchildren, and, and also uh, unable to read we'll give public readings. And then I, I, um, I connected with a group who were very professional uh, engineers and recording, you know, pe- people in that industry. And uh, they, you know, they were willing to record me. So that, that was a revisit to the days In the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, when I was on the circuit reading, reading from books, and I couldn't do that anymore. So in other words, I I was affected by the pandemic and had a desire to read and experience the books in a different way. When I read a book, I really experience it in, as I said, a different way. It's, uh, how can I say, it's not, it's work, but it's, 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 it's the material in a different light. I read the Johnny book. You know recently and it was like a new experience of a book I had written dec- a couple of decades ago
1: hmm so Nicholas your main character is a writer who teaches mm. and lives in New York mm-hmm. what else what else does he have in common with you Anthony flaria
0: He's 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 a projection. He's a projection of the writer who's talking about you know issues of power and 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 and, and into sexual matters, and also uh, someone who goes back to his neighborhood and meets up with his friend Johnny in the neighborhood where I grew up. Is I I grew up in the same type of environment as Nicholas. I just gave him. I wanted. I didn't want to use the I, the first person for me. For me, writing also my training is is quite technical. We were trained, or we were taught. You know, I'm also a, a professional book editor, so we were trained and taught that the first person is very difficult to pull off. The third, and we, we had a, an exercise where we would write something in the first person and then transform it into the third person and see how it goes. You can't just you can't just substitute a name for the I. You have to rewrite the whole thing. So I really wanted to project out of myself and create a character who was very close to my experience so that's who nicholas is and was he lived in the village he goes back to brooklyn i, I lived in the village i came from brooklyn new york and uh he has a he has a lady friend who uh, was married and left-handed and red haired and so did i so there is, i'm a kind of worker a fiction writer keeps sometimes close to the reality but not quite
1: Hmm. When Nicholas says that he had a nickname in the family, did hmm. he mean his actual family of birth or his crime family? And if he was a part of all of that, what had his job been?
0: He, he uh, Nicholas was not Nicholas was the opposite of a criminal. He was a poet, so he had no place. All he had, all Johnny was, was a, a neighborhood friend. In other words. Uh, so Nicholas was the, it was the opposite. So in other words, for so me to have uh, Johnny and Nicholas, they had to be opposites. One, in fact, uh, and scholars have picked up on this, you might have noted, this This project preceded The Sopranos, you know, the popular TV show. And in my, in my project, Johnny is the kind of therapist. He's kind of a humorous figure where Nicholas is going to him and say, look, help me, you know, help me out here. I can't understand this woman. She's married. I can't, uh, you know, help me. What can I do? And so forth. And Johnny gets annoyed and he kicks the table and he tries to get him a job. And in other words, he's a comedic foil, the opposite actually of a criminal, because I don't, I mean, look, I really don't know if an actual gangster would sit down with a poet and talk to him about the difficulties of his life. All right. It was a whole, it was a very (laughs) humorous setup, you know
1: mm-hmm so yeah it was it was both sad and a little funny that nicholas that developed an allergy to wheat and he can't eat pasta but um but you also uh suggest maybe he always had the allergy because he cried for the first time three years of his life so what's your take on that my whole? my take
0: is the, the allergy to pasta so so what, what the effort was involved here is is turning the stereotype. Of an Italian American and the Italian American community on its on its end. In other words, it's you know be, you know if you have an Italian who's allergic to wheat or garlic or you know who, or cries a lot in public or it's the opposite of the stereotype. And I, I must say I'm really pleased that it's been t- taken that way. It's been scholars picked that up. You know it's taught in you know university. This book as an attempt and a successful attempt. To um, move the myth of the Italian American gangster along to the level of humor and literature, literature. So um, that, that's that's uh, I'm, so that's that's what that's what I was that's what I'm pleased
1: about. Hmm. Uh, some of the stories seem to spring from Nicholas's imagination. Of course, they're from your imagination, hmm. and it, he goes back in time to reference some of the great Italians of history. Um, Can you say more about his references to Garibaldi?
0: You know, before our interview, I I, 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 I made a list of uh, my books, 12 books, Mm -hmm. and I tried to remember the timeline and how they all evolved one to the other. The conversation with Johnny Project came after I had done work on Garibaldi. Uh, in my second book, Valentino and the Great Italians, it was a, a little small piece on Garibaldi. Then I was offered a contract to write a biography of Garibaldi. I found then that that was too unwieldy, and I, and I arrived at his um, his cohort, Anita Garibaldi, and wrote that biography. So I had already had a great deal of research and experience with, Garibaldi and other legends of the culture. In other words, if I was going to upend the stereotype, if I was going to debunk the stereotype, if I was going to transform the stereotype into something new, something fresh, I also needed to incorporate the icons of our culture. And Garibaldi was one. Hmm.
1: Um, Nicholas is having an affair. Uh, as you mentioned, with a married woman, a Jewish woman. Mm-hmm. So two-pronged question, what does she see in him? Also, you often mention Jewish characters. Why does that happen?
0: Uh, first of all, about the latter the latter uh, uh, question of yours, which I appreciate both both aspects of that question. Uh, when we were growing up, uh, there was a great deal of racism in the culture and also in, in, in literature or in film too about the jewish people and so what i had there was uh, a, a a a a character a main character lefty she's a main character as a jewish woman who represents and is in fact the um how could i say the source the soreness of the racism incorporating that too, as well as the historical and the historical personages you mentioned, and also the historical, you know, experience of Nicholas going back home to speak with a friend who's a gangster. So the, 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 I, I think in the book now, you know, I think there's a section where, uh, in Spike, I think it was in Spike Lee, or even The Godfather. There's uh, there's racism. Not only, and actually, I remember. And now I'm remembering it clearly. In Scorsese's Mean Streets, uh, one of one of the one of the you know local boys brings a couple of Jewish girls into the bar, and the comment is, "Well, you know how they are. You know that is they're loose. They you know they're loose, and they're, and and they're and they're available for you know uh, you know sexual experiences." So I was raised with that too. So I wanted, I, I wanted a character who was not only Jewish, but powerful, so powerful that Nicholas did not understand her. Johnny doesn't understand her. And so she emerges to me really still today, you know, according to your question as a supreme, a supreme, how could I say, knockout of the stereotype.
1: Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm.
0: and What was the first, the first, what, there was the, I'm sorry, what was the second, the other aspect of that question?
1: The other one was what does she see in him? He's oh, so whiny and he's he's like it's not clear what he's a writer and he's teaching, but
0: yeah he's just so,
1: plagued so, with angst.
0: So so in other words, so well, what she sees in him what she sees in him is you know, his 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 physical his physical attraction, I must say. I mean she comes to his place. She throws him on his bed. He doesn't. He, you know, she she comes up and begins the the affair. She does. So that's in the book. Uh, I'm also sorry that you know you tell. Well, I'm not going to ask you a question, but so you you <laughs> don't you really didn't feel that that character of Nicholas was uh, sympathetic or or some a character you would be attracted to.
1: He had his moments, um,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: of course, and he was an Italian stud of some sort. Uh, And a poet, of course, so that's Mm. kind of enticing. Mm. Uh, um, It's just that she's a married woman, and he, okay, here's my next question. You can Uh, kind of uh, I'm going to
0: interject. She is a married woman, but she also says there's no passion between us.
1: Yes. So there's
0: that whole issue, and uh, how many times have we heard, I mean, I know I heard of uh, men and women taking up with married persons who say, you know, I'll get a divorce soon and this and that, and it never happened. So that was that situation too. In other words, that character of Lefty was unattainable. And so she was unattainable all the way through. And Mm -hmm. he always, he, he wanted more. And she always said, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. So, so that's what, so that's what that was about.
1: Okay. So then a follow-up question. Why does Nicholas keep having affairs with married women instead of finding someone to love him best of all for the rest of his life?
0: Uh, also, if I might, if I might, to answer that question, I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure that in the book there is no other married person he has an affair with.
1: Hmm. So how old is he supposed to be?
0: In his 40s.
1: Yeah, in his 40s. So yeah. how does he reach that point?
0: He says to Johnny, what happened to me? He he goes there and says, what happened to me? You know, I come from a good family, a a good schooling. In other words, these questions you're asking, these are very interesting questions to me in the sense that if I knew the actual answers of what you're asking me, I probably would not have written the book. He goes back to Johnny and says, Johnny, what, you know, what happened to me? I come from a good, I come from this, I did this and this. He doesn't know the answer. The answer is laid out in the literature. The answer is laid out in the book, in the prose. That's where it's laid out.
1: Well, see, I was worried about him, so so the prose got me to uh, care about him enough to worry. That's an what?
0: interesting. That's an interesting uh, highway, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so here's another thing. Hmm. Nicholas needs Xanax. To make, he's a young guy, he's in his
0: 40s. Wow, I mean, look, uh, he, so yeah, he's a young guy. and he, he, these, these were lovers, these were wonderful lovers who insisted, uh, that kind of an affair, like a, mainly a matinee, so to speak, uh, is really arranged, the, the, the meetings are arranged, and sex is, a, sex is necessarily a part of each and every one, every single time, every time. In other words, it's not a meeting. Uh, it's not a meeting to go out. Couldn't go out because she didn't want her husband to see, you know, catch her on the street. So that's the nature of that kind of affair. And sometimes, you know, sometimes, how can I put it? The male may have been instantly flagging in the attempt to, and then he goes to a doctor, and then he's prescribed Xanax, and then there's a whole scene about the whole Greek you know, Xanax and a fight between the great warriors, Xanax and peristalsis and all the other Greek kinds of issues. I found that very funny, by the way. I, found I also that...
1: found it. Yeah, it was. And it was also funny that even telling Johnny about lefty causes Nicholas to hyperventilate.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. You no, know, other Johnny, Johnny's on the receiving end. Johnny's the therapist. So if you go to a therapist, the ther- therapist is going to listen. At times he gets annoyed and angry, you know, and at the times they cry together, they laugh together. So in other words, it was really, look, as I said earlier, it's really one character. Nicholas and Johnny are one character. They're one. They're opposite. The two sides of the author, frankly.
1: Oh, now, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. So, well,
0: oh, that's well
1: interesting. this is why
0: this is wonderful, Khalid.
1: Okay. Okay. Why is Nicholas so upset about the kid professor? And what does he want Johnny to do about it?
0: um the kid professor is also a, a, how can i say a major minor character who uh is also in the culture of nicholas and johnny and he's he's coming up he's he's the future and 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 nicholas wants to make sure that he he any headway any headway the book makes through Nicholas and Johnny, as far as the stereotypical of the culture, Italian culture, Nicholas wants to make sure that the kid professor knows what to do with the legacy. That's what that's about. And in other words, there's a part where we'll take him down to, you know, the Bahamas and we'll, we'll talk to him, you know, and we'll make sure that he stays on the road to progress, and doesn't fall back into things like criticizing his wife or doing stupid things that Italian, you know that the culture or in the books about Italians occurred 20, 30, 40 years before. In other words, he's, he's a character who, who must inherit what Johnny and, and, and Nicholas are, 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 are saying and, achie- and frankly achieving through their intercourse. That's mm-hmm. who the kid professor is.
1: So I know from your bio that you're a jazz aficionado, mm. and you mention a singer or two, but you focus on two guitarists that I, whose albums I had back back in the day: Bucky Pizzarelli and his son John mm. Pizzarelli. Mm. So why why what do you love about them?
0: Well, why when them? when 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 Nicholas first meets Lefty, they're at a, a, a comp, they're at a, a, a event at PEN. He, you know, the pen pen event, and and uh, Pizzarelli was performing. So in other words, uh, I, uh, John Pizzarelli was performing at the event where Nicholas and Lefty meet, where they meet for the first time, where he sees her hat walking across the ballroom. And then uh, Nicholas remembers that he had known or remembered John Pizzarelli's father, Bucky, Bucky was more in in Nicholas's generation than John. John was more in the generation of Lefty.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I think you you might maybe you notice that I'm a classically trained musician, and um, so this kind of stuff interests me. Johnny and N- Nicholas and Johnny start talking about some of the great Italian operas
0: mm. and how
1: they continue to speak to current mm. Italian. Uh, Italians. And um, I'm wondering why you chose La Boheme to focus on, because mm. since, uh, since they're both by Puccini, why didn't you choose Tosca? Because it's so Italian. Okay, that's the question. Why uh, Boheme?
0: Thank you for that question. I come from a family of professional singers. My grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was a Verdi baritone my Uh uncle, one of my uncles recorded, he was a tenor. So I grew up believing that all language, that language really was, uh, that people were speaking opera, opera, you know, in Italian. That's how I grew up. I mean, I was like, I used to put, I I would be, there would be a a Christmas Eve and they would say, Anthony, go put on this singer. And then we compare singers. They were very erudite as far as that. Now, La Boheme was a favorite. La Boheme was a love story while Tosca was really a political story, La Boheme was a love story that, in the book, it's, it's, the, 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 La Boheme is a tragic story. The musical is soaring, and, you know, also, to become a writer the way I did, I had to neutralize the schmaltz, the lyrical flights of Puccini, I'm schmaltz in a good way, you know. It's beautiful, but I had to neutralize that with a kind of ice pack. I had to be. I I I thought you might ask why pick, why choose Puccini over even Verdi or, uh, you know, a more no. modern. You know, didn't a have
1: a problem with that. I thought that was a good choice.
0: Puccini. Well, that, you know. So the Puccini. So so the opportunity now. I can hear the arias now. The opportunity with Puccini was to say, to correct that it was, in fact, a tragedy. I mean, they were poor. And I do it. I actually do. I actually say, hey, everybody, you got all this wrong. What, what's the project, the film where La Boheme, you know, with share and... Um, rent? <laughs> not Rent. No. <laughs> um, was, Cher, moonstruck. Moonstruck. I mean, it kind of it annoyed me where they're falling in love and playing La Boheme as if La Bohème supports their love that they're about to embark whereas La is a tragic story Mimi dies at the end they don't have enough food they have to sell their you know their, their coats and they you know so for, so I was raised understanding the words what the words of the arias meant and it was not sweet it was not to, it was not, not uh, how could i say supportive of a love affair as I'm not, you know, as, as in, as in uh, the share project, which by the way, I mean, I mean, I know people love it and, you know, it's great, but that was my feeling at the time when I was writing, when that came up, when, you know, when the, uh, the music aspect came up, it was all part of not debunking, but actually shining a light on really, really the reality of the culture was not, that hospitable it's not was not that sweet and and hospitable and generous as the stereotype of italians is made to be
1: Mm -hmm. um anthony you were kind enough to share the first chapter of what i think is your current project can you say more about it
0: thank you very much in this period post I, i hope post pandemic Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually asked by someone very close to me that she did not know me when I was training to be a writer. So, as I said, I was a professional book editor, and my training as an editor in my, you know, in the, in the 1960s was with the um, publishing companies. You know, the only job we c- you can get then. Was in a publishing company if you wanted to say near words because the writing, you know, there were no school, you know, uh, graduate schooling, uh, writing programs and so forth where you could teach, and so uh, I was trained by wonderful uh, copy editors. One in particular, and that's where I trained. And he was, and, and, and that company was a soft pornography. It was a company, a, a company that published what we called then soft porn. As, a, as opposed to hard porn. So the title of the book is, maybe we can talk about it when it's done, is Confessions of, uh, what's, it, what's the title? <laughs> Confessions of uh Aspiring Pornographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is about my training as an editor. See, because when you're training yeah. to copy edit, you're not going to copy edit Hemingway. There's very little to do with great writers changing this and that. And what I mean by copyediting not only not just changing, say, if a time frame is wrong or a color is wrong. I'm actually getting into the prose, getting into the sentences, and making them more fluid. The material we worked on was awful. It was crap. So we really worked hard. And that company happened to get calls for different kinds of books that you would call soft porn and so i'm remembering this is now now i'm remembering this is interesting you should ask that because this training occurred before i wrote any of these of the books that i have published which are 12 in number that Hmm. training was before that so that's what this book is about the kind of training the kind of books we're asked to write and also uh confessions and in from the beginning you know of my you know of uh Actually, it's an eye. It's in the eye, which is very scary for me. It's it's is a first. It
1: going to be fiction though? Or is this? Yeah,
0: it, it, it's going to be fiction. It's a fiction okay. book, so you know, I'll let you know. Maybe we can. Yeah, uh, let me know. I will let okay. you know. <laughs>
1: okay, Anthony, it's been lovely talking to you. Best of luck uh, with confessions, uh, with conversation with Johnny. The audible version.
0: Listen, listen, I really enjoyed this, by the way. I really, really feel that, uh, you know, right now I'm really, really um, very satisfied and pleased by the questions you ask and wishing you uh, good luck also.
1: And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books in Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with author Anthony Valerio about his new audiobook for the novel Conversation with Johnny. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow, too. Happy reading.